Welcome to Hitting Play, the podcast where we review, analyze, and discuss shows, movies, and other curiosities. I am Scott, your co-host and moderator for this episode. Joining me are two people with Antarctic claims of their own, Lily. Hello. And Sean. Good evening. And this week we are joined by a special guest, a gigantor aficionado who also happens to be Sean's brother, Dan. Welcome to Hitting Play. Hello, thank you very much for having me. Thanks for coming on with us. This is uh, very special. I've heard that you have a very uh, storied history with this show. Yeah, well, as a child, I I think I had one VHS of Gigantor that I would essentially watch on repeat, uh, probably driving my family insane. I'm sure Sean can attest to that. <laughs> well, let me let me go back for a second, Dan. <laughs> All right, and let me talk about this show, and you can you know talk more about your memories uh, of this. I thought I wasn't yeah, gonna get let's, out of this. Let's easy. get into this. First of all. This is not a show that anyone wins anywhere, okay? <laughs> I remember, because Dan is eight years younger than me, so keep that in mind. Um, Dan was probably five, I would say. So what year was that? Like, mid- early 90s. Yeah, 91. Okay? I distinctly remember getting Gigantor, or my parents getting Gigantor for you, and it must have been at some, I mean, I'm surprised they weren't just giving this thing away. It was probably a 50-cent bin somewhere, like a Kmart or something. <laughs> I remember this happening, and I remember you asking for it. It was one episode of Gigantor, which, (laughs) amazingly, Dan brought this up to me as we watched this episode. This episode, the uh, South Pole episode, is listed as the first episode. This is not the episode I remember. Do you have any memories of this, Dan? I, I don't remember this episode, actually, either, but it's been so long. I was surprised this was the first episode, because I remember an episode where they actually constructed Gigantor. Oh, really? Yeah, and it was, they showed the process. I remember them building him and the kid getting the remote and getting control of Gigantor. So I don't know where that is in the run of Gigantor, the 53 episodes in this series that came out. Um, but this is not the one that we watched on, the, on that videotape, which I always thought was the first episode. That would make sense. But we had to watch this, I mean, I would say probably four times a day. Oh, yeah, it, it was on repeat. <laughs> Yeah, it again was just, you know, my parents were, you know, they must have just wanted to throw him in front of the TV for a little bit, and, I mean, that theme song, it stuck in my brain 30 years later, 20 years later. <laughs> it, it is the, the substance of my nightmares, that theme song. <laughs> You're not the only one. Yeah, I really couldn't have picked a more annoying show. <laughs> and you couldn't pick Lassie, I'm sure there was a Lassie episode in that. Borken bin. Well, and picked, you know, you know. Don't forget that I also loved Lady and the Tramp. We had to watch that every day after school as oh, well. Oh, <laughs> Lady and the Tramp. Lady and Tramp, Mom. Lady and Tramp. Not the Little Remember Mermaid, that? though. I hated that movie. Not. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't like Ursula from the Little Mermaid. Yep. First really time I ever. Time. First time I ever swore leaving the theater after that movie. That witch really upset me. <laughs> what did you, you call the witch? Tell everyone you, what you called the witch. Uh, I said that was a bad, damn it, witch, mommy. Yeah. <laughs> and another movie Dan liked too, which we should do in a future thought podcast, is uh, the Brave Little Toaster. Oh yeah, which oh, is a my personal goodness. favorite of mine too. Me and Dan watch that together uh, quite often. It was the one with the dinosaurs I love too. Uh, Land Before Time. 
Excellent. Oh, yeah. See, I, oh, I like boy. that Land yeah. Before Time. Oh, yeah. That was my, my childhood. Not these new ones they have. they got to go back to the original. That's where it's at. We watched a lot of TV as children. Um, I guess so. Well, for those that don't know, Gigantor is a 1960s Japanese giant robot cartoon. Uh, more specifically, we watched the episode Struggle at the South Pole, and it, it was the first episode of the American run, as uh, as Sean brought out. And, and it really didn't give you too much insight into who the characters are. So yeah, it's pretty strange that this was picked as the first episode. Yeah. Just, to, just for clarification, is the robot a sentient being, or is it just a machine controlled by this little boy? I... <laughs> I was kind of wondering that as well. It seems like he sort of just hits a button or flips a switch and it goes into action. So is he just turning it on and telling it to go? Or is he actually doing a lot of control work behind the scenes that we're not seeing? I, I really I'm, don't know. I'm From, pretty sure the research I did, it's just a dumb dumb <laughs> robot. Yeah, that, controls. that's what I found too, is that he's not sentient. He is completely controlled. Even though there is a mistake in one episode, Gigantor kind of pounds on his head to think. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that was the actual drawing trying to kill itself. <laughs> <laughs> the actual animation became sentient and wanted to, you know, destroy its its intelligence. So. Uh, well, it, it has a very interesting history. I know it's loved by many, and even down to this day. Gigantor is the story of a young boy named Jimmy Sparks and his adventures as the controller of a, I, I guess it's over 50 feet tall, robot named Gigantor, and it's set in the future, all the way in the year 2000. And they're joined by Jimmy's uncle, Dr. Bob Brilliant, with whom he lives, as well as Dick Strong and Inspector Ignatz J. Blooper. And it's based on a, a Japanese manga series called Tetsujin Nijuhachi Go, or Iron Man number 28 in English, written by Mitsuteru Yokoyama. Now, in the original story, young Shotaro Kaneda is the controller of Tetsujin, the giant robot, created by his late father to help Japan fight the Allied forces. And in decades previous, all of the Iron Man prototypes were destroyed in the war, except for the 26th and 27th, and then they were stolen by criminals who were also looking for this lost 28th Iron Man, rumored to be the best of them all. But Shotaro, along with Dr. Shikishima who is his mentor, and I, I'm not sure if he's his uncle in the original manga, but they beat the criminals to it, and then they use this giant robot to fight evil. And they're accompanied in their adventures by the chief of Tokyo police, Inspector Utsuka, who we know as Inspector Blooper, and a former intelligence officer named Kenji Murasami, who we know as Dick Strong, unfortunately. <laughs> which, which leads me to my next question. Are all the names just... You know, American names given by whoever decided that it was going to be made into an American version, or are they like semi translations from Japanese? As far as I can tell from my research, they're just names that are slapped on. Ah, okay. Yeah, this was actually seems very inappropriate for children. I I don't know where they came up with that, <laughs> but someone was having a good time. Not in the '60s, I guess. <laughs> Well, I mean, technically it's Richard, which is... <laughs> they call Dick him Dick. Strong. Dick Strong. This was actually the, America's second glimpse at a, an anime series. Previously, there was Astro Boy. So, or, you know, at least a major anime series that they, they got a glimpse of. This was actually done by an American TV producer named Fred Ladd. 
and he was a specialist in what they call westernizing animation. And he was already working on, at this time, Pinocchio in Outer Space, which I had, I had never seen. I have no idea what that is. It sounds fantastic. <laughs> it really does. <laughs> if I think of po- Pinocchio, I think of Outer Space. Of course. In the animated series, The Big World of Little Adam, that's another one. I'm not, I, don't, I have no idea. But he caught wind of Yokoyama's work, and he liked it so much that he and his partner, Al Singer, formed Delphi Associates, which I think you see that in the beginning of the show, the beginning or the end. Yes, you do. They actually formed that group just to distribute this show. This it, They dubbed it completely in English, and they only took 52 of the original run, and they completely repackaged it, gave it the name Gigantor, changed all the names, dubbed it with, you know, uh, their version of a story, and, and it ran for a few years. Now, there's no mention in, in the research I found of them purchasing this story from anyone. Uh, I wonder if there was some kind of shenanigans going on where they borrowed the stories and made them their own. That's kind of uh, fishy to me. I don't think so, only because there have been subsequent releases even on DVD. So yeah. even if there were rights issues, they're probably settled by now. But, I would uh, hope so. Well, they will in, be in after fact, someone hears this. <laughs> we're going to start a class action right now. <laughs> the family sees Japanese individuals. <laughs> There's actually, there was a couple of additional series. From what I've found out, there's Shin Tetsuji Nijuhachi Go, or the new Iron Man 28. Uh, Tetsuji Nijuhachi Go Fu Ekoesu, which is Iron Man 28FX. Of course, yeah. And that ran in Japan in 1992. And there was another one that ran from 93 to 97 uh, on the Sci-Fi Channel. That was actually aired in the 80s from Japan. So if you see any colorized, or not even colorized, but just color animation of Gigantor. It's from that era. But I mean, even in 2004, and they, they had a movie in the 90s. So I, and I, from what I've seen, that there's still actually versions of it still running. There was comic book series, so very popular character in Japan. I just have to say, thank God you're the one who's reading these Japanese names, because <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure everybody else... <laughs> In this call would be fumbling their words. <laughs> you don't want us trying to pronounce these Japanese names because we're going to offend a good popu- part of the population of Japan if we uh, try to pronounce these things. No, I, who knows if I'm even saying it right. And we love our Japanese listeners. We, we hope do. we're we we make fun of Gigantor, but we we obviously are coming from this, or at least some of us from a place of love. Yeah. If we, yeah. if, we stole, <laughs> if we stole Gigantor, we're very sorry. <laughs> I had nothing to do with it. <laughs> <laughs> oh man and knowing that Gigantor isn't an, an, a reflection of Japanese culture that would be <laughs> well you know it's funny because there actually is I, I found this on TripAdvisor there is a statue of Tetsujin Nijuhachi Go in Kobe Japan and so yeah it is very much a part of Japanese culture it, it, well pop culture anyway it's a, a huge statue. It's actually 18 meters tall. It's supposed to be full scale to what the original story is. And it was built to commemorate the 15th anniversary of the Great Hanshin Earthquake in Kobe, Japan. And it symbolizes Kobe's revival and as a guardian from future disasters. So basically uh, a statue to commemorate the resilience of the people of Kobe, Japan with all that they've gone through. 
It's, it's it signifies something beautiful. I mean, it could be a robot. Like, you don't know. <laughs> it's it's unfortunate that the American dub is so poor. Oh, so bad. <laughs> well, talking about that, I saw some research that it was first uh, on American TV on New York's uh, WPIX, which we might have seen at one time. Mm-hmm. I remember watching as a kid WPIX uh, was syndicated, I believe, uh, in January 1966, when a magazine. <laughs> Gave it a particularly scathing review, quoting here, calling it a loud, violent, tasteless, cheerless cartoon. And this is kind of off-putting to me, which they also called, again, their quotations, strictly in the retard babysitter class. What? Yeah, you know what magazine? You know what magazine that was? Go ahead if you no, want. No, I mean that's a quote that, from what we could tell, that's Variety. Yeah, they. <laughs> <laughs> well, not fans of the Americanized version of Gigantor. Yeesh. They, uh, kind of uh, not really PC uh, in our our day today, but yeah, they were not fans of it. But it w- did go- do well with uh, not adults, but the juvenile classes, I guess, at that time. Yes, even to the early 90s, right? Uh, apparently, yeah. Well, we could see that Dan liked it, so. <laughs> there you go. I remember seeing this uh, maybe within the last five to ten years on Adult Swim on the the end of the Cartoon Network run that they have every mm. night. You know, that yeah. does ring a bell. I think I've seen it pop up once or twice on uh, Adult Swim as well. Yeah, they, they would take old c- cartoons and they'd put them at the end of their, you know, block, which would be, I guess, 5.30 to 6 a.m. So, yeah, if you hear the Gigantor theme, you know, like... You Turn off be, the TV immediately and leave yeah, the room. Roll over and go back to go back to sleep. That's when they would play the like. I think Chuck Norris had a cartoon. They play the Mr. T show, the Gary Coleman show. So they they put a lot of like old quirky shows in that final slot of their block, and that's where I remember seeing Gigantor, hearing that that haunting theme, Calypso theme song. Because oh, if, if you hear that theme song. You'll never forget that theme song. And that's the only time I've seen Gigantor in the past 20 years in my nightmares. It reminds me of, like, some form of African throat singing, you know? Like, on an episode of The Big Bang Theory, Sheldon tries to, to practice throat singing. And it reminds me exactly of that. Except just the word Gigantor over and over and Oh, just over. how it, like, reverberates. Yeah. Like booming voice. Dan, you want to sing it for us? as it? No, that, I don't think I could do it justice. I mean, it's essentially just chanting Gigantor over and over again. <laughs> and then I, I remember when I heard it, it was uh, bigger than big, taller than tall, quicker than quick, stronger than strong. But I didn't pick up the taller than tall. I thought it was bigger than big, stronger than strong, quicker than quick. And then, like, they ran out of adjectives, so they just went back to stronger <laughs> than strong again. I'm like, wow, they're really not very creative here. But, you know, I, I listened to it again and got the actual uh, description. So, Grayer than gray. Um, <laughs> He's grayer than gray. <laughs> grayer than gray. Well. I have it. Again. I have it actually written down. Dan nailed it. Oh. it. It's he's bigger than big, taller than tall, quicker than quick, stronger than strong, ready to fight for right against wrong. And before that, the paragraph is Gigantor, the space age robot. He's at your command. Gigantor, the space age robot. He is power in your hands. And they repeat that whole thing twice. All right. So let's get right into this episode. We we start with probably the most memorable feature of the series, as we've talked about this this terrible theme song. Or great theme song, depending on your perspective. And during the theme, we get an action montage, and we see Gigantor flying through the air, 
being controlled by Jimmy, he's dodging missiles and even getting hit by some. It seems like nothing actually damages him. And uh, he karate chops a jet right out of the sky and bursts through the bottom of a ship. So really many, many casualties. You know, this this is really a horrible toy for a child to have. <laughs> In a Christmas story, they wouldn't let the kid have a BB gun. Well, at least they didn't let him have this giant robot that can karate chop planes out of the sky. Yeah. Jimmy doesn't seem to have any issues killing all these people either. He seems quite content with himself. Yeah, he's a little yeah, sociopath or something. I don't know. Yeah. This was really my first thought, too. Who who gave this child this, really, weapon of mass destruction, potentially? You know, yeah. just this random kid named Jimmy is in control of this, you know, giant robot. No one thought maybe they should, I don't know, take it away from him and give it to somebody else? I mean... Yeah. No government was like, you know what would be really awesome in a war we're fighting? That robot. <laughs> Maybe because no one else wanted to have the responsibility, so they said, let this kid do it, and, you know, he'll lock him away or something. I... Well, Jimmy Sparks is very mature for his age. I've read that later on in the series, we also get to see him fire guns and drive cars, so. <laughs> <laughs> I do remember watching Gigantor as a child. I think the main draw was that. I wanted to be that kid controlling the robot. That was very appealing. So. Oh yeah. Yeah. Which doesn't surprise me. One oh, you'd be quiet. <laughs> you know you'd want to. You'd want to too. I never once thought while watching Gigantor with you that I wanted to be the kid controlling Gigantor. How old were you right now? The... How old were you, Sean? Oh, let's see. Well, Dan was five, so five eight plus five. Oh, we're gonna do some math. Oh boy. Do some math. Thirteen. Thirteen-ish. Oh, yeah. Lily, you ruined it. Should have let Sean do it on his own. <laughs> he only has ten fingers. Who knows where where it would have gone? Uh, I'm not wearing socks right now. I could have done it. Oh boy. <laughs> yeah, I was about thirteen-ish. I don't think I'd want a a mass murdering robot. It'd be too much too much responsibility for me at this point in my life. Well, I don't yeah. think I had the concept of murder as a five year old. <laughs> I mean, I just thought it was Maybe... cool. He smashed things. Who wouldn't love that? <laughs> All right, touche. Maybe that's maybe because Jimmy's a minor. Maybe that's why they figured put it in his hands. Very true. He's just he's going still... to juvie. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Niability right there. We didn't know what this kid was doing. I don't know. Hmm. Very interesting. <laughs> All right. So this whole montage ends with the the title card, and at the bottom we see the aforementioned Delphi Associates with the copyright date 1964. So this is the uh, Delphi Associates copyright date, not the Japanese one, but. This is when it first aired, and as we said, this was the first episode. And we get this booming voiceover with the episode title, Struggle, Struggle at, at the, the South Pole. Sounds <laughs> spot on. Said almost like the guy had already told us five times and he was getting tired of repeating himself. It was just Can't like, your kids listen? <laughs> it's a struggle, struggle at the, at the South, South Pole. North Pole? No, no, no. no, no, no. Struggle, struggle at the, at the South, South Pole. <laughs> <laughs> so the story finally begins, and a voice announces, One day in the year 2000. So, right away, this is so futuristic. Of course, yes. <laughs> you guys remember the, the giant robots 15 years ago? Oh, yeah, who could forget? Oh, of course. Lily doesn't, but we Smash do. planes? Well, yeah, Lily wasn't born yet. Well, she was... Uh, no, she I, was I was. Come on. I was two. Good, Give me a little bit of credit. <laughs> it's a good thing Y2K wiped them all out. That's okay. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> 
Now, Inspector Blooper, he, he drives up to a stately manor, and he runs in and screams for Jim and says that he has bad news. Jimmy is sitting at his desk, and he asked him why he's so flustered. And insulted, Blooper replies that he's been on the force 30 years now, and he strokes his mustache and he sits down. Then he loses it, and he flies straight up off the couch to a standing position and screams that he doesn't get flustered. So, I, I don't know what the original dialogue is, but in the American dub, he's just going crazy right off the bat. Oh yeah, he is shot out of a cannon. <laughs> <laughs> do people actually stroke their mustaches? Is that or is that just a thing of that's important? Of course they do. Oh yeah, I mustache wax does it all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel like that's really gross. Watch out for that guy. <laughs> yeah, he's does he have a van by any chance? I asked him if he used earwax too. That at least disgusted him, so there's some hope. <laughs> <laughs> So the inspector informs Jimmy that they will be going to the Antarctic, and when Jimmy asks if you mean the South Pole, the inspector wittily replies, well, I don't mean the South Pole in front of the barbershop. Yes. Which is a reference that I didn't get. <laughs> yes, this is Lily who had never seen a phone booth, so we probably yeah. should explain. Barbershops used to have uh, striped poles in the front. They still do. There's some spin around like that. Red and white. Anybody yeah. know where the red and white pole came from? It was for uh, something with blood, I know that much. Yeah, bandages, know. right? Barber surgeons? Yep, the the bloody rags hanging outside when they were kind of the go-to person for the doctor or whatever you needed. It's horribly morbid. Those were the days. <laughs> <laughs> so they held that theme? That's terrible. Yep. That's how you know. How are you going to know it's a barber shop if you don't have the bloody rags? <laughs> so when Jimmy asked why South Pole, the inspector gets so angry, he literally hits the roof. Like, he just he's flipping out. Right from the get-go. And he tells him to turn on the television, and when he does, it's the perfect time. Great timing. We see that a ship with supplies for an expedition catches fire, and it sinks off the Antarctic coast. And I thought it was funny. There's nine flags on the map, and the only real one is Japan. I'm pretty sure one of those is the Olympic flag. It's similar. Very they had, similar. They have a, uh, a contingent research team on the South Pole. <laughs> the pole vaulters. <laughs> Yeah, Antarctica didn't do too well in the Sydney Olympics no. that year, yeah. <laughs> More of a so winter we... Olympics continent. Yeah, really. <laughs> I want to know which uh, which country has the two chickens on their flag. Yeah. <laughs> so we learned that nine different countries had had base camps, and one by one they're getting destroyed. And the remaining camps call for help to UN and Interpol. And they don't know who's doing this, but Interpol has still asked the inspector to escort Jimmy to a base camp with Gigantor. So, it really kind of strange. Interpol, they don't know what's going on, but you know what? Why don't you take this kid to Antarctica? Yeah, this one specific inspector from some <laughs> random part in the United States. You are important enough to be in this government thing. <laughs> and Gigantor is apparently in Jimmy's garage, so we could just take him, you know, from there. Oh, yeah. Of course. He must have really high ceilings. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> so then Dr. Bob Brilliant enters, and what <laughs> through what was the most wooden conversation in the history of animation, we learned that the doctor was asked to help too. In fact, here's the real dialogue. I had to write this down. He says, hello, Jimmy. Hi. Wow. Inspector Blooper. You're here. Hello. Hello. Doctor, we're heading south. To the pole? Then you've heard the news. And you're going. <laughs> Yes, sir. I'm going. That's good. As a matter of fact, I, uh, I had just had a call from the Academy of Science. They, uh, want me to help. Good. 
then that means you'll be coming along with us. That's right. Inspector, to the South Pole. Read this notice. Now he says, uh, I had to go back and listen. He says, uh, twice in that take. Oh, they man. must have dubbed all 53 in the same day. They're just like, come on, just keep rolling, just keep yeah, rolling. Let's get, let's get, these, let's get these done. <laughs> and the, the, the voice oh. actor is probably like, oh, man, I have to keep reading. What? Oh, uh, what? <laughs> I actually immediately thought he was the bad guy of the episode because he seemed so awkward and suspicious. Yeah, it was weird. But you, you wonder what they were actually saying in the Japanese version, that they had to just kind of pad out this terrible dialogue that doesn't go anywhere to just kind of fill in the space hopefully something more colorful or interesting i hope so i would i would hope so too (laughs) so he hands the inspector a notice from dr cat's meow and this this is going to be the villain of this episode and he actually has whiskers like a cat too which is convenient and terrifyingly strange (laughs) it's a very strange man all around (laughs) it's a cat's meow yeah, which is a colloquialism for something that you like. That's something that's great. Wow, that's the cat's meow. <laughs> but not in this case. <laughs> or in this decade. <laughs> <laughs> or in many to come. So in the notice, cat's meow claims to be the rightful owner of Antarctica. And so they sprint outside towards the inspector's police car. Now this was a really confusing scene. They in, they sprint out towards the police car, but when they get there, it's being stolen, or so they think. It actually does a couple of quick laps, and then it just stops. And we see that this man named Dick Strong is driving. And he greets them, and no real explanation is given for his appearance. Does he need like, one? He's Dick Strong. I mean, That's the introduction to the character. We on. don't know who he is, but it says, hey, my car's being stolen. Oh, wait a minute. No, it's not. And then he insults Inspector Blooper. Like, oh, I, I shouldn't, I can't be speeding, it's against the law. Oh, right, that dumb banter, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, it makes more sense to know that from the original story, he's a former intelligence officer that works with them. Oh, see, that would have been <laughs> Yeah, that makes would've a lot way more better. sense. I yeah. thought it was just customary in other countries to play jokes on the police and steal their cars, <laughs> that you don't get in trouble for that, but... <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for clarifying, I appreciate that. Uh so we then cut to Gigantor, and he's flying alongside everybody that's in a plane. And in the plane, the, the crew, they sit at a table, and they're looking at a map. And Dr. Brilliant explains that Antarctica does not belong to any one country, and it's fascinating because of its many natural resources. So at really? this point, yeah, and at, well, at this point, I'm like, oh, okay, well, that's, that's cool. They're actually going to explain something real. They're, it's true that many countries have claims over Antarctica, Chile... Uh, Norway, uh, Argentina, there's a whole bunch of countries that kind of have claims, but they're not officially recognized. No one country can have claims over Antarctica, officially. Because no one wants to go there. <laughs> <laughs> well, for scientific research, it's it's valuable, but Dr. Brilliant goes on to educate us by telling us that there's resources such as uranium and platinum and gold, and those elements are important to any space program trying to put a man on Jupiter. Because someone would want to go to Jupiter. <laughs> yeah, now, now, if I I may be wrong here, it's been a long time since high school science, but isn't Jupiter a gaseous planet? Yes. Yes. So I yeah. think they knew that back in the '60s too. So I don't know why they were uh, 
suggesting, you know... And that red spot on Jupiter is just like this massive twister. <laughs> yes. So <laughs> There would be no good reason ever to go to Jupiter. Yeah. You would die instantly. Definitely. The gravity. <laughs> Definitely not a hospitable place. No. But uh, uh, for some reason, you do need gold to get there, I guess. <laughs> yep. And uranium. And uranium and gold and platinum. So make some uh, gold chains and platinum jewelry. <laughs> Get some uranium. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we'll just send two chains to Jupiter. <laughs> uh, so, basically, they're also explaining that a rocket could be launched from Antarctica because of the pole's ability to repel radiation, and because of this feature, many countries are interested in setting up base camps there. So, they reason at this point that if they bring Dr. Katzmeow to justice, they actually help the entire world. So that's their way of justifying all the people that they are about to murder in this episode. <laughs> they have to they have to meet together and kind of convince each other. Okay, we're doing the right thing, right? Okay. I'll tell you, this plane is pretty awesome, though. It's pretty big, spacious. It's nice. You know? Yeah, they probably pick their own coach too, so it's it's not bad. Jimmy's got money. Yeah, he's got some. He's got some bling. Wait, this guy has a you know fifty foot tall robot. I mean, yeah, in a mansion. Jimmy can have anything he wants with that robot. Yeah. <laughs> so they wonder how they will bear the fifty below temperatures. It's probably something they should have thought about before departing, but you know, too late. And they begin to descend towards the icy surface, more specifically the Antarctic danger zone, which I believe there's a highway to, if I'm not mistaken. Sure. That might have been just a song. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> now, that's, actually, if... that's actually the the same thing I thought when I heard that "Highway to the Danger Zone." <laughs> that's where they wrote the song. That's where it came from. Now, uh, Jimmy's supposed to be Gigantor is flying alongside the plane, mm-hmm. but Jimmy doesn't seem to be controlling him at all during this time. I guess no. he has autopilot. That's right. I mean, <laughs> I... how Gigantor can even fly is beyond me. He's got those big jetpacks on his He's back. He's got rockets on his back. Yeah. Yeah, but he's so heavy. He's very sophisticated. <laughs> <laughs> he's made of iron. Come on. Should just give him a little glass of whiskey and a, a cigar. He'll be very sophisticated then. <laughs> yeah, he's not aerodynamic. He's got the jetpack on the back, but he has no wings or anything. There's no. There's nothing that would suggest lift. <laughs> and iron is definitely not the lightest of metals to choose for, you know, a, a flying robot. Maybe durability, no. but you know. Yeah. He'd need a rocket ship strapped to his back. <laughs> Do I have to repeat the theme song? He's stronger than strong and quicker than quick. <laughs> so, that's all I need to know. That's another point. How is he fast? Made of iron. No robot I have ever seen is fast. Yeah, and what powers him, too? Uranium. and, and uh, Really platinum. large batteries. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So anyway, as they start to descend, they're confronted by an enemy squadron, so their plane begins evasive maneuvers as Gigantor is then activated from, I guess, this autopilot mode. And Gigantor goes to work, easily laying waste to the enemy jets and just punches right through them, so they begin to retreat and Gigantor is called off. However, their plane is hit, and despite losing an engine, it's able to make a pretty level landing on the surface. (laughs) It's pretty impressive, right? (laughs) Yeah. Right in the glacier. Now, this to is that... pretty Sully Sullenberger. <laughs> no problems at all. Just, you know, slide right in. <laughs> now, to that point, you know, Gigantor, this futuristic robot, don't you think he should have some onboard weapons or something? He just kind of flies into the planes and busts through things. 
you know, it's really kind of barbaric for this futuristic, sophisticated robot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know. It's the Hulk with circuitry. <laughs> I gotta talk for a second about Jimmy, because Jimmy, as we're gonna see in a second, Gigantor saves the day by stopping the plane. Yes. Uh, now, Gigantor's controls, it's a box, it looks like a lever and buttons. <laughs> I don't understand how Jimmy's navigating the, you know, three-dimensional axis trying to move in front of the, you know, the plane and doing all these complex maneuvers with Gigantor's legs and arms and with just a joystick. I... C- come on, it's just like Galaga. Oh, co- oh I'm sorry, yeah. <laughs> the comedian that smashes melons? <laughs> no. He's fantastic. <laughs> I believe that's it's Gallagher. Ah. Yes, Ga- Gallagher is an arcade game, but I don't know. I don't know what that is. But that's oh, a good point. Yeah. It, it it's so weird. This big clunky control panel that Jimmy has to carry. This is a huge remote, and it yeah, it, you wouldn't think it would lend itself well to navigating three dimensionally. Many technical questions. Let's arrange on this thing. Apparently, it's quite a distance because, you know, Gigantor is flying around. <laughs> well, you can see the radio waves coming out of it. It's pretty oh, powerful. That's true, yes. <laughs> you actually, when you actually see the radio waves, you know you've got something serious going on. So, yeah, as Sean mentioned, Gigantor jumps in front of the plane and stops it before they slide into an iceberg. And once they're safe, they put on their winter gear and they get out. And they reason that the best plan from this point is to completely dismantle the airplane. That is their only way of getting there. Their only means of transportation. And they create a giant sled so Gigantor can pull them around. It's an open sled, too. Apparently the airplane had some rope on it so he can pull it. <laughs> yeah, they really they really created a very professional-looking sled, too. It looks manufactured. It's yeah, it really like welds in it. It's pretty good. Yeah, very yeah. impressive for a building on a site like that. You know, one comment about the plane getting shot, too. Did anyone notice that it gets shot right through the window, you know, nearly missing the inspector in the head? Uh, the cabin doesn't depressurize for some reason, and everyone's fine, but, you know, <laughs> leave that as a side point. That's true, and he gets angry, right? Well, very angry. That's yeah. that's when he said something. Now, as they as they approach their camp, then the, the, this is the scene where they see penguins in the distance. and the inspector he he decides he's going to pour himself a cup of tea and he's disappointed when it turns into ice cubes immediately it's not what happens ice cubes are not a natural occurrence (laughs) i'm pretty sure there's an episode of mr 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 wizard's world where they uh yeah disprove this theory of uh gigantor here oh we'll get into some science later on believe me so he throws the teacup over the side of the sled and it's shot to pieces so then he decides he's going to get out of the sled with his weapon drawn. Not the brightest idea. And then they're confronted by the penguins, which we now see are actually robots with gun turrets built into their chests. And they're painted with a logo that looks like a, a cursive capital O. Ah, uh, yeah. It, it reminded me of um, geometry, unfortunately. Theta, you know. Oh, yeah, yeah. They reminded me I... of the fembots from Austin Powers with the... Uh... <laughs> These penguins have nipple guns. You could say it. Pretty much. Pretty much. <laughs> machine gun jumblies. That's right. They got their machine guns coming out of their jumblies. <laughs> Don't edit that out. That's a good one. No, I'm leaving that in. <laughs> the whole world will hear it. That's... <laughs> 
So Gigantor is then once again activated, and he punches all of the penguins to smithereens, but they're again ambushed, this time by tanks and soldiers. I mean, th this is 50 degrees below zero, and they're sending out soldiers on foot. And they, all of these people, they have that distinctive cursive capital O logo. It reminds me of the Baltimore Orioles logo that they wear on their hat sometimes. <laughs> it's that. Oh, I thought it was something to do with Oprah. Oh, it could be <laughs> Oprah's army. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> so once again, Gigantor crushes all their foes with very little trouble. And now there's a scene where Dick Strong is able to knock out a soldier and he's able to switch uniforms. Now, if you knock somebody out and leave them there without their clothing in Antarctica... He's not having any more legs after a couple of uh, a couple of minutes. <laughs> that guy's dead. <laughs> yeah. Well, he's not dead. You see the little spinny things around his head. Stars. Yeah, that's true. His Those are probably frozen in place, too. <laughs> his tongue's hanging out of his mouth. <laughs> Unfortunate end. Game over for him. Now, Gigantor stops. This is something we've seen him do already. He'll stop as the enemies begin to retreat. At least there's some ethics by Gigantor, or Jimmy by extension. But the inspector, he tries to shoot some of them in the back as they flee. I don't know if you guys noticed that. It doesn't seem too ethical. Yeah, apparently he issued a no-quarter and didn't tell anyone, but... <laughs> Luckily he blows his gun barrel off, like, oh yeah. We already know Inspector has some internal issues <laughs> from how the episode started. Seriously. I mean, he really shouldn't be in the police force of any kind. Um, yeah, he, he's got some he shouldn't be licensed issues, to carry. A weapon. Uh, so once the commotion is over, the crew realizes that Dick Strong is missing, and they begin to call for him over and over again in a very disturbing Dick. scene. Dick! Where's Dick? Now, when he did not reply to those shouts, they then figure that he is gone, and the inspector begins to mourn him as we cut to commercial. So why don't we also take this opportunity to take a commercial break of our own, we'll pay some bills, and we'll be right back. What are your internet wires made of? Are you running the correct megabyte processor? Does a website thief already have your binary? Computers are scary, and if you're over the age of 65, they're downright frightening. My modem was three days away from a complete A-drive failure, and I had no idea! I never knew that my recycle bin had to be cyber-scanned every month. The store never told me. Our computer was full of hyperlinks and the manufacturer refused to fax us a new hard drive. That's where we come in. At Golden Dignity Computer Services, we provide honest and trustworthy care of computers for senior citizens. With service plans starting at $99 a month, we offer the following services. Caps Lock Diagnostics, a complete mouse wipe, CD-ROM to Ethernet conversion, and even software cyber on pixelation. If you act now, you can get a full icon realignment absolutely free. Golden Dignity Computer Services. Because computers are scary, but hey, it's the future, and you're a part of it. And we're back! Now, when we return from commercial, Dick Strong, now undercover, is dressed as an enemy soldier, and he returns with the tanks to a secret hideout. And when he's inside, he begins to look around in awe. This is a, a huge 
military installation built by Dr. Katzmeow. And a fellow soldier becomes very suspicious that he's kind of like looking around like it's the first time he's actually seen the place. And we learn that this man, even though he has like a, a very strong... Is it a German accent or a Russian accent? I thought it, I thought it was more Russian. Either or will work. That's fine. Well, basically, he explains he's from Europe, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> German, heard, just to end confusion there, you know. Never heard any European identify themselves as being from Europe. <laughs> and another soldier, this is very interesting, another soldier is from Calcutta. And a little bit of trivia, the name Calcutta was actually changed to Kolkata in the year that the show takes place, 2000. So huh. if it took place in 99, that would have been fine, but just missed it. Well, maybe it's before it took place officially. Never know. Uh, I don't think so. <laughs> kind of too close for me. No. But anyway, we basically learned that this is a very diverse group. Cat's Meow has people from all over the world working for him. Now, Dick discovers that this group is in possession of a tank known as a spritzer. And it's able to boil water, then spritz it at the enemy. And a soldier tells him it's their greatest weapon, and it's capable, I think he says, of destroying the walls of an igloo? I'm not, I, yes. Hard to hear. Yeah. Um, so essentially, their weapon of mass destruction is a super soaker. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, real organized group here. Yeah. <laughs> and it boils water, and it sprays it, and we'll, we'll see it in use later on. But I wanted to ask you guys this question. This is this brought up in my mind, this age-old question. Does hot water freeze faster? What do you guys think? Of course. Mm, I don't think so. I've always heard it did, but there's... Well, I don't know if this is where you're going with it, but there's an issue with boiling water in freezing temperatures, but I'll, I'll let you yes. go. Well, this yeah, this is exactly what I looked up. Uh, you guys might be interested in hearing that after centuries of this effect being observed, going all the way back to Aristotle in the 4th century BC, in the year 2013, so only two years ago, scientists have confirmed that the answer is definitively... sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> it actually, it only happens in certain circumstances, and this is called the Mpemba effect. And it's named for the Tanzanian student who, in 1969, published a paper after discovering that hot ice cream mixtures froze faster than the others. 44 years later, scientists from the Nanyang Technological Institute in Singapore found that the Mpemba effect is real. And basically, there's a whole huge long paper about it, and it's, it basically it stems from the covalent bonds among the molecules of water. So basically, if the situation's right, yeah, hot water will freeze faster. So, believe it or not, there is some scientific basis for some of the physics in this show. The only <laughs> issue I take with it is that they're not using just hot water, they're using boiling water. Have any of you seen what happens when you throw boiling water or shoot it into freezing temperatures like they're doing? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, I actually tried it this winter, because I saw it on YouTube or somewhere. <laughs> Take a cup of boiling water and throw it into the air, and it essentially vaporizes. Yep. So, they're not going to have much luck trying to freeze anything, but, you know, whatever. Plus, it's a really stupid idea for a weapon. I mean... Yeah. It really is, yes. 
They're like my six-year-old cousin waiting like behind the deck for me to come outside in the summer to sabotage me in my outfit or something. Well, I mean, it's a robot. It's electronics. Water and electronics typically don't mix. You know, you can kind of see maybe where they were going, but yeah, it's pretty But Dan, dumb. it's made of iron. Iron rust? Well, not this mm. iron. Super, it, can, it can withstand bullets and uh, smash through airplanes. I mean, yeah. come on. Yeah, he must be made out of stainless. It, Stainless, that's right. Stainless iron. He's essentially the robot version of the DeLorean. That's right. <laughs> Guarantee not to rust for 25 years. So we then cut to an interior room where eight men sit at a table, and through a set of doors enters Dr. Katzmouse. This is our first look at the guy. Little nose, whiskers, his hair is kind of like up and curly, almost like cat's ears, and he's very short and portly. Yeah, and actually, I'd like to read my, my notes that I took when I first saw him. Oh, please do. Uh, I wrote, Dr. Cat's Meow has creepy cat whiskers. He is a cat person. So, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> it's true. They, I'm not sure what his name was in the original Japanese cartoon, but they, can't, they came up with a good name. And from what I've seen written down, it's K-A-T-Z, like the surname Katz, M-E-O-W. Cat's mouth. What's with that what creepy shot of uh, the camera talking out of his mouth, too? You see his teeth? Yeah. Oh, oh yeah! I mean, like, what? What? <laughs> what? What was the need for that? We know he's talking. I mean, it's only the show, you know, we had to verify. We were trying to experiment. Experimenting with new camera I guess, angles, well, you know? A, I mean. <laughs> Get an inside look at the character. So Cat's Meow is furious now that Gigantor has not been stopped. And he tells his top officials that Gigantor and his crew must be captured. Not only just captured, but they have to be captured for the whole world to see. And now follow the logic of this plan. They're going to capture Gigantor. They're going to show off to the whole world that we captured him. And then countries will begin to bow down to them. And that's how they're going to conquer the world. Sounds like a very reasonable idea to me. I mean, it all starts with Antarctica. That's right. Yeah. I'll take that's the landing point right there. So we then cut back to the crew at a base camp. Now, I was very confused at this point. Dan, I don't know if you know, they mentioned that it's the base camp of Dr. Muttonchop. Yeah, I, I thought it was Commander Muttonchops. I, I have no idea. I, sorry, I but, can't provide any insight there. No, but who's Muttonchop? Now, I thought they were talking about him. Our cat's meow was talking about him to one of his officials, and there was a guy with mutton chops there, so I figured, oh, that's going to be mutton chop. But then they say, that, oh no, the crew is at his base camp. Alright, so they're back at the base camp of mutton chop's winter rental. Let's just assume he's not home at the time. <laughs> I believe he was Dr. Mutton Chop. This is another doctor. I guess it was easier to get your doctorate back then. Mm -hmm. I thought it was Dr. Cat's meow. Cat's meow was the doctor. There's also, well, Maybe. there's Dr. Bob Brilliant. Dr. Cat's Meow, Dr. Mutton Chop. Yeah, there's three doctors in this episode. I'm pretty sure Gigantor is a doctor or two. <laughs> Metallurgy. Metallurgy. <laughs> so we then cut to the crew at the base camp of Dr. Mutton Chop. We learn that even though they have very few men, they still must defend as best as they can. And Dr. Brilliant is told that every day they send a plane to look for the secret hideout of Dr. Cat's Meow. But every day, not only can the plane not find it, it is also shot out of the sky. <laughs> I think it found it. <laughs> you think it would kind of stop after a couple of days, huh? you know? 
That's why they have very yeah. few men, I'm guessing. Does anybody notice the map that he's looking at in the wall has South Pole written twice? <laughs> yes, I noticed that too. <laughs> oh my god. Yes, uh, English lettering or Roman alphabet lettering in overseas animation has been a problem all the way up until the digital age. It's Even in the early Simpsons, there's been problems like that. And it's, you know, you got to imagine it's hard. It would be like us trying to transcribe... Uh, Japanese or Chinese or Korean characters, something that we have no, you know, no knowledge of. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they, they then get a series of distress calls. One explaining that 18 out of 20 ships have been torpedoed by submarines. Then another explaining that they have also been heavily crippled by a military force bearing the strange marking, which he describes as an upside down Q. That's what I thought was the curse of letter yeah. O. Mm-hmm. Or a curse of O. It looks nothing like that. <laughs> <laughs> now, did anyone notice when these distress calls come in that everyone is extremely sweaty? Yeah, look at <laughs> Jimmy right now. Oh, yeah! <laughs> it's like somebody dumped a bottled water over his forehead. In Antarctica. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What? It would be seriously having bouts of hypothermia just, just, at this just point. water dripping off their faces and Jimmy Guys, was... take your take your jackets off. Yeah, you're, you're inside now. You don't have to, you know, wear the winter parka. Crack a window. It'll clear that right up. Yeah. So the distress call then ends with the man screaming that a tank is heading his way, and then it goes silent. There, another death in the show. We <laughs> assume it's an assumed death. And then we then cut to commercial as Jimmy vows vengeance on Doctor Cat's meow. It's just, I guess, <laughs> that guy meant a lot to him. <laughs> random man on the intercom <laughs> now when we return we see a column of tanks on the horizon heading towards the base camp along with a march of penguins not the Morgan Freeman variety but these guys have fuses sticking out of their heads not a very sophisticated design <laughs> uh, and seeing that they are now greatly outnumbered Jimmy decides it's time to activate Gigantor once again. <laughs> Do we notice when Gigantor is activated, his arms flex up and down twice? Did we mention that already? No. Is, is that a purpose? <laughs> like he does a little arm flex? Yeah, I think he's got to warm up a little I... bit. Yeah, yeah like kinda... being in the bullpen. <laughs> Get yeah, the oil right. going. That's right. No, he's just trying to show off, I think. Yeah, an act of intimidation. So the enemy devise a plan to get Gigantor into an open area, and from there they can then use the spritzer on him, their secret weapon. So Gigantor, meanwhile, he's going around his normal business, just crushing, throwing tanks, just destroying everything. But then four of these spritzers, they move in on him, and they fire four jets of hot water on Gigantor, and before Jimmy can even make him take off into the air, he's completely coated in a thick layer of ice. So again, physics, you know, mm-hmm. who knows? So the soldiers at the base camp, they, they again, everyone's just reactionary in this show. They hang their heads in defeat, realizing that Gigantor was their last resort, and now he's completely frozen. And over a loudspeaker, Dr. Katzmeow tells them that they now have 24 hours to surrender. I don't know why he's giving them a complete day, but he is. Yeah, I thought that was really generous, you know, instead of... <laughs> <laughs> inflicting damage and destroying them now. You know, you have a day to figure things out. You know, it's kind of nice. Yeah. The unfreeze Gigantor? Sure. <laughs> yeah, work on that. 
Yeah, just going to hold them to that 24 hours. They could just up and leave Antarctica and be fine. If they didn't dismantle their plane. (laughs) Oh, well, (laughs) you know, they could swim. So Cat's Meow's forces now back off. However, one spritzer begins going towards the camp. The driver's kind of waving, saying, no, 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 it's me, it's me. And we see that it's Dick Strong. And this is my question. Was he one of the ones that just froze Gigantor? Of course. Like, we know he's playing the part of an enemy soldier, but that doesn't mean he has to... Like, you think he would try to use the spritzer on his fellow spritzers or something. He's not going to blow his cover at that point. Yeah. He was really just getting into the character. Right. I guess so. I mean... Very method. Uh-huh. <laughs> and everyone's at this point, instead of just saying, you know, what happened? Are you an enemy? Did you just turn on us? No, everyone's very happy to see that he's alive. Especially the inspector who gleefully jumps into his arms. Oh, yeah. This is a guy he was that ready was... to kill at the beginning of the episode. So they then begin a plan in which the spritzer drives around Gigantor. They're saying that it's softening the ice. And basically, it's just kind of like spraying around his feet until it almost makes like a, a small pool. There's like edges. And then the soldiers just dump kerosene in the small pool at his feet. And the inspector lights a match and he throws it a pretty good distance into the pool of kerosene and ignites the flame. Now keep in mind, this is, in this condition, this was the weather that froze his tea into ice cubes. And he's just like, oh, I'll just throw the match about 20 feet. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Oh, so it works, though, of course. And slowly, Gigantor's heated up and he's able to crack his icy coating as everybody cheers. Even though heat is worse for electronics than the cold. But... <laughs> it's made of iron, Lily. Come on. <laughs> Which conducts heat. Oh, yes. <laughs> Don't worry about it. Iron. So now with Gigantor free, Dick Strong leads the crew towards Cat's Meow's secret base. And we then cut to the interior room of Cat's Meow's base where... He's already celebrating with his top officials. We're still in the middle of that 24-hour window, and they're already popping champagne. (laughs) He's an optimist. I guess. But before he can even finish a a celebration or a toast or anything, a distress call comes in saying that they're being attacked. And this was very disturbing. Dick Strong uses the spritzer on some enemy soldiers. Yeah, I was going to say that. Murders them, basically. Yeah. (laughs) From what we understand, this is boiling water. So they're being scalded to death, and before they can even scream, they're being frozen. Like, their bodies are encased in ice. Very terrible things happening at the hands of Dick Strong. Well, you know, he's already had practice on Gigantor, so... Yeah, he knows... Dick Strong, that's right. <laughs> he knows how to use the spritzer. He's already used it against others, but... Yeah. Gigantor then punches his way into the base and destroys the remaining tanks... And then Dr. Katzmeow vows to blow up the base himself. Kind of a interesting way of Which makes sense. taking care of things. Yeah, sure. Alright, I'll take I'll just reset everything. <laughs> so the good guys then retreat, realizing that an explosion is imminent, and then the underground base completely explodes into flames. Which gotta it's gotta be pretty hard to keep something flaming and smoldering in those conditions but sorrowfully now jimmy wonders where gigantor is Very a lot of people moment. yes 
But in case anyone is following along with us, not to worry, because out from behind a huge pillar of smoke flies Gigantor, and everybody begins cheering. If Jimmy was controlling him, you'd think he would know if he was, you know, still functioning, but... Yeah, yeah. again, this is not a sentient being. Jimmy, <laughs> Jimmy had to feel sad and wonder if he's still there. And then go, okay, I'll make him fly to me now. You can just build another one if he's destroyed. It was a big deal. Just in case the kids at home that were watching were too happy at this moment, we see Gigantor flying majestically through the air. Where he's going at this point, I don't know. And a voiceover then asks, is this really something to cheer about? Is this really the end of Dr. Cat's Meow? Oh. You horrible children. How yeah. dare at, you? At this point, I thought they were going to slap us with some, like, psychoanalysis, but no. It was all about Cat's Meow. I thought they were going to be like, you know, is this really something to be happy about? A robot with this capacity? But absolutely not. If any not. of you children clapped, you're horrible. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you realize how many how many people died just now? And you're <laughs> clapping, you monster? Go to your room and eat your vegetables. <laughs> and drink Pepsi-Cola. <laughs> now, the following week, the kids that are watching would find out that, no, it's not something to cheer about, and it's not the end of Dr. Cat's Meow, because he comes back to stir up trouble in the following episode, this is episode two of the American run, entitled Battle at the Bottom of the World. Now, Sean, you watched Battle at the Bottom of the World. What what happens in that episode? Oh, it was quite horrifying. Um, <laughs> just to give you a brief rundown of Battle at the Bottom of the World, basically, they're about to depart. Gigantor and Jimmy and Dick Strong, I believe, was there. And uh, the inspector. And they're about to go on a boat back to you know the island when a robotic whale attacks the ship they're on. <laughs> I'm not making any of this up. Sinks to ship. Gigantor is nowhere to be found. Somehow they survive in freezing waters for a number of hours, it seems. Uh, Gigantor is taken away to an underwater base by Dr. Cat's Meow and is going to be operated on. They're able to... They keep on attacking this base now again. They get back to the base. They get rescued by a helicopter. The main characters, they're at the main uh, Antarctic base, which is now being attacked by tons and tons of planes, which they didn't exist before, apparently. <laughs> Dr. Casmeow's planes and anti-aircraft guns going off from the base, machine gun fire, and for some reason they're about to drill into Gigantor to figure out what's going on with them, Dr. Casmeow, and Jimmy is amazingly able to get control of the, the robot and, again, save the day by destroying the planes. And that's where the episode ends. Actually, no, there's actually a funny part where Dr. Casmeow is, is fleeing. Gigantor is chasing him, and they say they should chase him, and they say, nah, we'll just give up. We won't, we won't chase him. It's, it's, it's okay. <laughs> there you go. That's, that's the episode. So in case anybody was in suspense of what happened, Cat's Meow lived to fight another day, apparently. Wow. Yep. Now, I think a lot of these episodes are like that, where they, they, they were broken up into... Well, every, every episode pretty much is encapsulated within the 20, 30 minutes. They create a story, and then they resolve it, but they are based on a current theme. So, like, there's two at the South Pole that run one after another, and then I think the next three have something to do with a spider or something, so I, I don't know if Cat's Meow comes back. Yeah, Stinging the, the Spider, The Secret Valley, I'm looking at the list now. Uh, it looks like some, maybe a few that are just single episodes without any... Target Jupiter is episode number 24, so apparently they get to Jupiter. Ooh. Oh, wow, okay. They, they mine that gold and uranium and uh, platinum. <laughs> 
And then get sucked into some sort of hurricane or twist. <laughs> that, that should Jupiter. be the whole theme of the series. We're trying to get to Jupiter. And the whole, you know, they're trying to find these minerals and Gigantor's going to help them get to Jupiter and then they die at the very last episode. And they... Was it worth it, kids? No! Is this something to cheer about? Because <laughs> they're dead. <laughs> Are you happy now? You should all be ashamed of yourselves. <laughs> Horrible children. So then we end with the closing credits and once again, the Gigantor theme. So, Ugh. what was everybody's thoughts upon watching this episode? Well, it it was just laughably bad. It was bad. <laughs> it was just bad. Um, it was uh, it was it's fun to make fun of. So if you're hanging out with a friend who has a similar sense of humor, sure, throw this on, and <laughs> make as many jokes as you would like. It's, if you really have nothing at all better to do, I mean, if. There has to be nothing going on. Now, for me, I mean, it definitely brought back some wonderful childhood memories. Uh, but at this point in my life, I'd have to agree. Basically intolerable, unless you're watching it to make fun of and for a laugh. This is the American version. Obviously, it doesn't reflect the quality of it in its original oh, form. Oh, yeah, I'm sure so. it's so much better. Yeah, I had pretty much the same thoughts as you guys. It was just laughably bad. It, very, like, it wasn't even fun to watch. At, at points, because it was just so slow. It, there was obviously something lost in the translation that they tried to make up for, dubbing it in English, and it was just, yeah, completely gone. But it, it's funny, it's nice to look back at briefly to, to see how far we've come in animation and to see the history of, of animation, particularly Japanese animation, which has always kind of been technologically at the forefront, but this is something that doesn't hold up well. And uh, again, I, I, I want to check out some of those more recent series to see uh, how far they've come within this actual story. Have fun with that. I agree. I might have to go back to therapy after seeing this episode. <laughs> but there is some interesting things. I don't know if you saw, there was some people who took the theme song of Gigantor, which we won't describe again, and they made covers of it. One I haven't heard, but the band The Dickies... In 1982, did a cover version of the theme song of Gigantor. Oh, wow. I believe the Dickies were like a punk rock band, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. And I never saw this episode, and I did watch this with my kids, the Animaniacs, Pinky, Elmira, and the Brain episode, How I Spent My Weekends, you know, Pinky and the Brain, they parody oh, yeah. the Gigantor theme song. So I'd like to really see that. That'd be kind of interesting. Huh. Yeah, it pops up in other movies and shows as just very brief references here and there. It's something that culturally, maybe it didn't make as strong of an impact here as it did in Japan. But yeah, it, it's certainly something people remember. And as home video releases started to become more popular heading towards the 80s and 90s, you could see, you know, people around our age, like Dan, even have lasting memories of it all these years later. Mm -hmm. Good or bad memories, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think that'll pretty much do it for this episode of Hitting Play. As always, you can email us with your comments, suggestions, uh, maybe some spritzer stories of your own, whatever you have for us at hittingplayshow at gmail.com. And especially if you're listening to us in Japan, we'd love to hear about your experience with Gigantor or Tetsuji Nijuhachi Go, if I am pronouncing that correctly. We only have a very small portion of the actual story. And we'd love to hear what your experience is with it and how much it means to maybe your culture and your country. As always, you can talk to us on Twitter, at Hitting Play. And do you guys have any plugs? 
Um, sure. I'll go ahead and say my uh, YouTube channel is Lilypution22, where I do things of the gaming uh, variety, and I have the same handle for my Twitter. So. Yeah, I have um, a couple plugs here. First one is a great YouTube site that I found recently. The series is called Comic Misconceptions. It's about comic book characters and misconceptions and stories about different characters. It's by a YouTube user called NerdSync. Um, and they have all sorts of different YouTube videos. They're about 10 minutes long a piece. And they really talk about, you know, questions. Who became Captain America after a certain time? How can a daredevil see? I watched that one today. So really quality uh, videos if you're into comic books and have questions about different characters. And, of course, I want to put a shout out to my mother. As I hope my brother does too in his shout-outs. Oh, now I feel obligated. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> uh, well, I'd just like to say thank you to uh, all of you at Hitting Play. I appreciate uh, you having me. Uh, and Sean has mentioned my dog's Instagram before. I guess I'll plug that. <laughs> my wife basically puts up most of the pictures. But uh, if you care to follow the adventures of a lovable pit bull and a golden retriever mix, uh, their Instagram is bon underscore ginger. I am on Twitter, um, at MC and Friends. I'm also on Vine. My name is MC and Friends there. There I do flip page animation. You can check out my stuff there. And I also want to mention, please subscribe to us on iTunes and leave us a five-star review. It helps us out, and if you do, you will get a shout-out on the show. And uh, speaking of which, guys, I recently discovered a deleted scene from Gigantor where he actually speaks for the first time. Do you guys mind if I play this? Oh, wow. Not sure. at all. I want to hear this. It's actually, it's an old Betamax transfer that I found at a garage sale. So let, let's see if you can hear this. Oh, hello, Doctor. Hello, Jimmy. I have installed a new program that allows Gigantor to speak. You have? Yes, I have. Okay, I believe that you have. Yes. Well, will we hear him speak? Yes, we will. I will make him speak now. Thank you to P. Sharky and Hectic Art for your five-star reviews. Well, that made no sense. Who is P. Sharky and Hectic Art? And what is a five-star review? I do not know. Well, back to the drawing board, I guess. Yeah, it was really weird. That's in the show? Yeah. That sounded familiar. I think I remember that from an episode. <laughs> you are the uh, resident expert, mm -hmm. I suppose. Yeah, we defer to you. Seems legit. But yeah, if you want to be included in future thank yous, leave us a five-star review. Have fun with it. Uh, write something funny. Uh, just, you know, as long as uh, your name is something we would be comfortable saying. But in the meantime, <laughs> if you want to be really lazy, but you still want to uh, help us out, you can also tap to rate us. You can just tap five stars. You don't even have to write anything. And you can do that right on our iTunes page. Uh, any Anything you can do like that, it, it helps us out, and we really appreciate it. I see a forthcoming review from Dick Strong coming through on iTunes. Oh boy, guys. Well, we have been Dan, Lily, Sean, and Scott, and this has been Hitting Play. Thank you so much for listening. Konnichiwa.